0: come on and join me on the b-side when movie stars that weren't in their prime made all the movies that got left behind that got them covered on the b-side you're gonna like it on the b-side because you got dan and connor by your side throwing your knowledge from the inside and now you're listening
1: to the b-side
0: hello one and all, welcome to another episode of The B-Side for the Film Stage. Today's a special episode. Um kind of in the middle of our little break, we had the opportunity to talk to a very kind of a very talented important filmmaker Wayne Wang, who we've we have mentioned on the podcast before. But as we speak, um he's got his kind of second solo directorial uh effort dim sum a little bit of heart uh on criterion and coming out as a disc um for criterion um as well as and we talk about this life is cheap but toilet paper is expensive um also available on criterion which is important to note because i think that film had had been less available up until that point which we talked with wayne about anyway he came on and you're about to listen to it and we just wanted to kind of preamble it a little bit mention a few of the movies you talk about obviously if you know wang wang you probably know him for his kind of debut feature which was very important and remains important you know to independent cinema asian american cinema what have you chan is missing certainly not a b-side the a-est of a sides but we do mention that briefly we focus on dim sum a little bit of heart uh we talk a little bit about slam dance um which is kind of his first foray into Hollywood to some degree. Eat a bullet tea, Life is Cheap, as we mentioned. Um, and then the other movie you would know him from, we don't really talk about this because this is another big A side. He directed The Joy Luck Club, which is based on the Amy Tan book.
1: Yeah, and that kind of was part of his like big foray into Hollywood. And the the sort of sneaky thing about him is you would know his movies, but you would never know You would never potentially guess that they were all directed, uh, by By the same, by the same person, particularly in his Hollywood era. And Um, we talk
0: about that with him. I mean, he's always very openly been, um, openly been wary of getting typecast in any one directorial box. So, you know, even to, for example, a pair of movies you talk about a little bit. Right after the Joy Luck Club, he works with uh, the great New York writer Paul Auster on two movies, Smoke and kind of the Smoke B-side, Blue in the Face. Yeah, um, Could not be more different from the Joy Luck Club, right? And then he pivots. He goes back to Hong Kong and makes a super interesting movie, which we talked about briefly with him, called Chinese Box, which... Kind of captures a moment in time when Hong Kong was about to gain a lot of independence from mainland China in 97. And I think, that, like we talk about, it, I think there was a thought there was going to be a lot of uh, adversity that happened with the turnover. That kind of didn't happen. But as we record with him 26 years later, we'll right. see a lot of... Retraction happening, restrictions happening with Hong Kong, um, sadly. And, and that's so that's that's an interesting in- entry into both watching that movie and talking about it. And then to your point, Connor, then he kind of gets into this very funny phase. And it's fascinating. He makes like Anywhere But Here with Natalie Portman, and Susan Sarandon, Made in Manhattan with Jennifer Lopez, Because of Winn-Dixie with like Dave Matthews and <laughs> Jeff Daniels, Last Holiday, which I actually rewatched um, with um, – queen latifah and ll cool j which is actually based on the 1950 um alec guinness movie uh, which i think is also called last holiday which um is a you know they're both very nice fun movies and then and then he kind of pivots pivots back into dim sum territory with a movie called a thousand years of good prayers which we talked to him about and um And then he references kind of two lesser seen recent movies that he kind of felt like um, just have not gotten their audience quite yet. While the women are sleeping and coming home again, um, which are two of his most recent movies. Uh, We mentioned he made a documentary kind of about food, Soul of a Banquet. Really interesting. I literally think the only movie we didn't say the title of is Snowflower and the Secret Fan, Mm -hmm. which is funny because it had a pretty big release here. And it's got like a little Hugh Jackman performance um, and it's, you know, based, you know, it's adapted from a book. And it's just funny. It's just we it didn't come up. It's I wouldn't really call it a B side. I don't know that it's an A side, though. It's funny. It's just I've, I was like laughing. I was like, I think that was the one
1: that we just didn't mention. Yeah, but... we kind of just went gl- glossed over it a little bit. But anyway,
0: fascinating guy. Um, amazing to talk to him about kind of his process, his career. Connor, anything that you, you know, before we throw to the interview, anything, any final thoughts Yeah, there? no,
1: I mean, I, I was just, I was really struck by, and you can see it in his films, just the sheer level of efficiency. Um, I think one of the great things about his filmography is one of the fun things about going through some of these movies is, you know, they're all, like, not all, but a lot of them are, you know, 90 minutes or less. So you can kind of, they're, they're very easy watches, even for just little character dramas. Um, and yeah, we talk about it a little bit, but his just, he he makes the kind of movies that I, I feel like make people want to make movies, um, because of their simplicity. Um, I think he really has a means of like stripping down a story to its barest elements, particularly you see it kind of later in like thousand years of good prayers and stuff like that. Like just almost the notion of like, okay, well, I, I have a condo and I have two actors and I have a camera, so I got a movie, right? Like there, it's like this very, exactly. Yeah. Very basic, simplistic, uh, way to make a movie. Um, and there's a lot that he kind of does, just even with mixed media and like early cell phone stuff, even in like princess Nebraska, which you can watch on Tubi, um, that I just really appreciate, even if it doesn't necessarily work in the films, it's just interesting to look at. Cause it, he's, he's got clearly such a, such a, uh, an efficient knack for like what makes a movie. Um, and I feel like that's just really impressive, especially when you see him like, take the leftovers of one production and parlay that into uh into another production entirely um right
0: which we talk about he kind of has done it like three times in his career (laughs) like
1: there's kind of a very like punk rock thing about that to me (laughs) like to just be like well i guess i'll just make
0: two movies um no 100 percent. and i think it's so rare especially these days it's like you talk about kind of Scope creep with so many big movies and small movies. I mean, any movie, I mean, things are expensive. And I think the fact that this guy, whether it's making, you know, eat a bowl of tea and then kind of being on location with enough time and support from China to basically stay there and make Life is Cheap. Right. And then be in New York making smoke with Paul Auster, come in under budget, have a week left with the actors and some money and just do this kind of B side. Anthology. Un- unscripted yeah. docu indie called blue in the face, you know, with some of the same actors and then a bunch of other different actors, Mir Servino being one of the new additions, right. In blue in the face. And then, um and then he does it again. Like we said, with um the princess of Nebraska is kind of, the b-side of a thousand years of good prayers right so it's like his middle america movies right so i think fascinating guy so many different movies to talk about i mean this will be this talk this 30 minute talk should serve as kind of an entree into his cv his work i mean we could have talked to him for not unlike carl flanken we could have talked to him for you know another two hours so please enjoy our conversation with wayne 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 thank you so much for joining us here at the b-side it's an, obviously an honor to have you i think i wanted to just start with this because i think this is just a fun uh, how many filmmakers could say this you you've made your own b-sides of <laughs> uh in your movies right because you made yeah. smoke and then you came in under budget or whatever happened right and then you were able to sneak a week out and make blue in the face with you know, some some of the same cast, some other cast. And then you kind of did it right. And correct me here, but I think you kind of did a similar thing with um After a Thousand Years of Good Prayers with the Princess of Nebraska, right? Or am I wrong yes. on that?
2: Yeah, yeah, you're completely right. And I also did that with Eat a Bowl of Tea and Life is Cheap. I mean, uh, yeah, Life is Cheap. Life is Cheap was made that way. But was that was ask. a separate yeah. part of funding. But the thing is, I... I get bored making one film. I get mm. bored making a film, especially if they're if they're scripted uh, and I have to sort of follow the narrative and follow the dialogue. Yeah. So afterwards, I usually say, just get rid of everything and just make a film <laughs> free. Um, That's great, know, free of everything. So smoke was a was a good example. Paul Ulster wrote, uh, you know, very specific lines. And he wanted the actors to follow the lines, you know, 100%. And we did, uh, as it were almost like a stage play. So when it was over, I said, oh, here, we're, we finished a little bit early. Here's the uh, uh, smoke shop location. Here are all the actors. Let's just let everybody out of the mental institution and mm-hmm. just do something completely crazy.
0: I love it. You know? My, uh, it's just so fun. We're watching smoke and blue in the face again for this. Um, and then we'll move to dim sum, but I just, my sister lived a, like a block away from that, that location. <laughs> okay. And yeah. so at the beginning of blue in the face, you have this great kind of map graphic that like shows you exactly in Brooklyn where, you know, the cigar shop, you know, the smoke shop is. And I'm like, Oh man, I've been on that street. That is so funny. Um, but obviously so much has changed, uh, you know, over the years, which but, is a whole other thing.
2: That whole thing is kind of fake because oh sure because yeah, that yeah. corner is not a smoke shop it's actually a <laughs> post office that was empty and yeah. we built this a smoke shop and it was so funny so many japanese that the film was really big in japan and so many japanese tourists would organize tour and go <laughs> visit the smoke shop and it's, <laughs> it's and it was a different fair. thing <laughs> that's so great that's so great
0: that's so good that's awesome. Um,
2: so yeah. just to bring
0: it back, because, this, you know, the reason for the season, um, you know, uh, Dim Sum is uh, on Criterion Channel as we're recording, as well as Chan is Missing is there, too. Obviously, certainly not a B-side. Chan is Missing is obviously an a, a incredibly important piece of work. And really a movie. I think me and Connor went to the same film school. You know, a movie we saw young that yeah. kind of, and I think Chan is Missing has done this for so many Aspiring filmmakers really like blew my mind. Like I really remember watching Jan is Missing," being like, "I did not know that you can make a movie like this." Yeah, <laughs> and, absolutely. And, yeah, and very much just being like, "That is cool." And then you know, there's other examples, but that for me at least, and kind of, I think you feel similar. That was a very like a big inflection point. Um, and rewatching it, I kind of was reminded of that. Anyway, so just let's. So you've. So in some respects, I don't want to put words in your mouth. You've kind of referenced how Chan is missing. You're taking something from the French New Wave and how you're kind of capturing it stylistically, what have you, aesthetically. And then with Dim Sum, you're very much, very kind of ex- explicitly making your Ozu movie in some respects. And I'm wondering, are you, there's so much about the development. What All these decades later, what stands out for you with that? movie, your kind of second
2: solo directorial movie? Well, what stands out was probably the fear that drove me to it. Hmm. <laughs> it, it Channel's Missing was so popular, you know, everywhere. New York, LA, San Francisco, long lines around the block waiting to get in. I, I kept saying to myself, how am I going to top this? How am I going to do my second film? I can't redo Chad is Missing. Right. Uh, I I I decided to stay really simple and stay really true to myself, which is my interest in, in shooting a house, shooting a house with a, with family members in it and their relationship to each other and using the empty shots of the house as much as I can. That's what I... That's what I remember going to film school and was most impressed by watching something like Ozu. Mm, yeah. Uh, so I, I went back to something that I knew well, that I could do well, that I could just get inside and be very authentic about it because I yeah. was still very into just making something that represented Chinese American character in a real way. Yeah, and yeah. it definitely
0: comes through. I mean, it's a really an incredibly confident piece of work for your second, you know, solo film. And let me—this is maybe an unanswerable question, but I'm so fascinated by this. You talked about kind of the Ozu pillow shots and how you love those shots, and you kind of kind of make them your own in. A, in, in dim sum and i'm wondering like this is impossibly of an answer but i'm so curious why do they work like why do they work in your movie and his movies and why do they not work in other- is there any rhyme or reason there am i is that an unanswerable <laughs> question because it's I, like
2: i think you do have to think about them i think there needs to be some kind of connection even if it's a little abstract that connection but there has to be some kind of connection for example i love the shots of the shoes yeah and Mm -hmm. and every time the characters come in and out of the house they take off their shoes and the shoes are 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 mixed you know sometimes there's mother and daughter shoes there and one time there was the boyfriend shoes there um i think you have to have some the, the, the 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 no character pillow shots actually tell their own story right. and they carry some of the same feelings and emotions of the characters right. and that's why they work if you don't have that sense of it then they don't work they're just simply shots of the house yeah that's a good point yeah, I yeah. Mean,
0: that's of course yeah and <laughs> I think so I mean you know like we said it's on Criterion and it's, it's really worth just watching I think you know there's so much to be said about it I mean that's you know, the, the leads are real life mother and daughter, right? Essentially non-actors, to, you know, you know, um, and, 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 and that comes through and what, a you, you talk about the fear. They're very ambitious to do that. God knows. Um, and I think it all pays off. And I think, you know, what's fascinating is you've always been very open about not wanting to get pigeonholed in any specific way. We, on this podcast we talk a lot about the William Wylers of of the world who like mm. never became auteurs like in an Andrew Sarris way. And I feel like you're one of the last great you're like a wyler. You're like doing every single possible thing. Is there a genre you have do you like want to make a sci-fi movie that you have is there something that you're like I need to get it you in know, you know?
2: No, I I I think I did most things that I wanted to 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 kind of explore. Sci fi isn't sci fi and period movies are not big with me. So I always have been a, totally afraid of them. But like 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 action movies, the last film that I did with a studio was called Last Holiday with mm-hmm. Queen Latifah. Yep. Yeah, and that movie. one had a lot of action. Actually, if you watch closely, there, yeah. there's skiing action, there's fighting action. There's all kinds of action. There's people yeah. falling off of buildings. And I realized with those movies, uh, half of it is all technical. There's a bunch of other people figuring out how to make those things work. And right. it's all storyboarded. And it's all very specific and you keep shooting them until you get them right um it's kind of like if i were bored shooting characters doing dialogue <laughs> i would be more bored doing right. that in the film
0: <laughs> no, I, no you're right no that's honestly people i don't i don't think everybody realizes that the the minutia yeah. that goes into those sequences in most films um
2: exactly, no, just and bring, i have sorry, tremendous ahead, yeah. respect for all those people they, they are really smart, they're really good at what they do, and they really make it work. I mean, for example, there was a skiing sequence uh, with, with, with a guy who actually shoots only James Bond movies on skis, <laughs> and, he, and he shot a sequence that was completely wild you know, through the trees. And and we only used a little bit of it, but he is so good. I mean, I yeah. I'm I'm surprised he hasn't crashed into a tree yet. But <laughs> you know. anyway,
0: no, the specialty elements of of, of big
1: movies is is quite. Yeah. you know, it's
0: it's it's on, We'll never be properly heralded enough. I think that's well said. Because um, you
1: obviously you know you you had your start. You did eat a bowl of tea, and like we mentioned, life is cheap was kind of the b-side to that right uh Mm -hmm. in terms of the way you you kind of constructed it kind of all of those movies those movies where you kind of made one and then made another off off the tail of it um have a have a similar kind of format to them right like they're they're all some version of like mixed media or they're playing around in kind of a modular sense where you could maybe rearrange things and the uh I don't want to say structure doesn't matter, but maybe the flow of time doesn't necessarily matter as much. Right. Um, And I think it's interesting that then you, you know, you take that dive into Hollywood for a while on bigger films, maybe more with these kind of specialty things uh, before kind of coming back out of it with uh, Princess of Nebraska and a thousand years of good prayers. Was that, was the bigger element and the more specialty nature of the Hollywood stuff, is that what kind of brought you back in terms of getting out of it?
2: Well, it was, it was that and also just coming back to tell stories about almost uh, real characters, sure. simple stories between characters. And, and I wanted to get back to actually the dim sum model, which I've always loved uh you know a thousand years of good prayers was a father and a daughter and yeah, and yeah. their relationship you know mm-hmm. and uh it 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 had a lot of little details about about the characters rather than these big sort of you know uh marvel comics kind of action or whatever mm-hmm. right. i mean the little details of the father coming out of the house coming out of the apartment not knowing where he is and he looks both ways. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Those are the kinds of things that I enjoy doing.
0: <laughs> well, the whole, I mean, look, the whole sequence with the girl by the pool where he yeah. just yeah. can't look at her is I so guess. great. I mean, to your yeah. point, it's like, there, there could be no dialogue in that scene, you know? It could be a silent movie and it would be hysteric. still hysterical. There are
1: a yeah. few moments yeah. like that in that movie. I yeah, mean, yeah. I all, all the the entire all the sequences that take place on that one bench uh between (laughs) the father and then their iranian woman um and i forget the character's name but they have these series of conversations because they're you know they're only like very loosely speaking occasionally in broken english and then they resort to their own languages and it also feels kind of like a silent film where you you're it, it's a, kind of a beautiful thing because you're seeing each of them totally pick up on the non-verbal cues, things like that, and they can fully carry on conversations, um, which I just think is kind of fascinating.
2: Yeah. And it's also, you know, like the Iranian woman was a big, huge movie actress in Iran, and she, she came here, and she hasn't worked for many years, and she has so many great stories to tell. A, a lot of what she said about the war in Iran and mm. her daughter dying, they were all coming from her. Oh, wow. And going back to the swimming pool, the young girl, the young, beautiful blonde, she was working in a mort, and she was telling me how every day she was cutting up people's brains. You know, so I mean, they're great stories. They right? are absolutely
1: yeah, put it in. Yeah, yeah put, it, put it, 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 it in the movie. Use it.
0: Yeah. I, so real quick, um, just coming off of Dim Sum, just because I want to make sure we talk about um, okay. some of those earlier films, because um, it's just interesting. So we mentioned Eat a Bowl of Tea, and then Life is Cheap, but Toilet Paper is Expensive. And I think what's interesting, and we don't, I know, I, I don't think this was a great experience, but I think it's fascinating. You you make that movie Slam Dance, which I think was like it's a Mystery movie Tom Hulse, couple other people. Tom Hulse just won his Oscar, and then you kind of go almost. It's it, I thought it was interesting. Maybe you can tell me I'm crazy, but Life is Cheap feels like you're a little bit doing. You're a little bit being <laughs> like, I kind of wanted to make this, right? Like you know, after Slam Dance, and then obviously eat a yeah. bowl of tea is like a whole different type of thing. Is there, I guess, when you went back. I guess just tell, just use that as an in for those two kind of great movies with, uh, with, with Eat a Bowl and Life is Cheap. Yeah.
2: Well, I, yeah, I, you know, going back to Slam Dance for a moment, I, I always wanted to free myself, you know, no matter what situation I'm in, and Slam Dance, even though it was kind of a. Weird, crazy script about a weird Tom Hulse painter <laughs> yeah. character. I was still trying to push the limits of how to make it, uh, you know, not so predictable. Yeah. And that's something that I learned from watching, let's say, Goddard do, mm. uh, watching uh, Goddard and Breathless, where he would, you know, the narrative is there, but he just would go to anything and then yeah. the the characters would kind of float in that in that in that sort of more more non-narrative space for a moment. Um so I loved that and I you know I went to uh you know I'm going to diverse a little but I went to film school. I went to California College of Arts and Crafts and all the teachers were Bay Area underground independent filmmakers. Right. I mean uh like Stan Package uh, yeah. who actually made a thirty-minute film of of the morgue and cutting up you know dead bodies, which is really amazing. So i i i always want to explore a different language and a different sensibility. And the same thing again. Eat a bowl tea was very scripted. Uh, mm-hmm. It was made actually by Columbia Studios with David Putnam running it. So okay. they were they were they were interested in getting the script right. They were interested in shooting everything that was on the script. There was a completion bond guy who came to Hong Kong to say you are going over budget oh, you have... really? <laughs> wow. yeah. So, so it was more after... of a studio picture then yeah, it, it is a studio picture. Yeah. So after that, I go, you know, there were some Hong Kong investors, they were all bankers. And they said, "Well, give you two hundred thousand dollars, you can do anything you want." So I was so frustrated with some of the things that happened while we were shooting Eat a Bowl of Tea with the gangsters. Actually, mm, you know, sure. for example, one day we were shooting outside an old building, and it was it was the third day of a shoot, and you know, uh, we were finishing up, and we had to put up these white silks to block out the sunlight Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden we were surrounded by gangsters and the lead gangster guy came out and said my driver died this morning and it's because you put up white all over my territory and white is the color of death you brought death to my community so you guys have to get out of here (laughs) so that kind of thing just happened you know (laughs) That's and a great so,
0: st-
1: wow yeah. yeah. And, Did you tell that to like the completion to, well, bond not? guy? <laughs> What's that? Did you tell that to the completion bond guy? <laughs> I well, I couldn't tell that to the completion
2: bond guy. <laughs> wait,
0: wait wait what I was hoping you were going to answer was I was hoping you were going to say that was the completion bond guy. He was the. Well gangster. that was, yeah,
2: I, Well there there was another great completion bond company story was when we shot Joy Luck Club in Shanghai. We were way over budget on that one by that time. Uh, but they sent a completion bond guy who was afraid of lights. So oh, no. we had all our production meetings to the top floor of these these tall hotels. And he couldn't get <laughs> up there. He couldn't get into an elevator and go like oh, 30 I floors. That. I
1: love that. That's beautiful.
0: <laughs> uh, anyway. No, but that's... great. We we look. We were talking to Carl. You know, the great Carl Franklin was on not too long mm-hmm. ago, and we were yeah.
2: he's we, in we, the we were, Bay Area, yeah, exactly.
0: And we were having kind of similar stories, and we we say we love it. You know, we love these stories because I think those are the things that don't often get recalled, and I think it's so important because look, that's the industry, and like you said, it's it can be very frustrating. And I think what's so cool about your career is that you've been able to make these pivots where it's like, like just even. And some of these films, I was acclimating myself for for the first time, where like you made a documentary, uh, Soul of a Banquet, not even too long ago. That's really feels almost like you're tying a bow on the importance of food in so much of your work, right? So in a way, it's yes, it's a doc, but it's like it seems so important that you know you have obviously a subject, you know Cecilia uh, Chang and like what have you, but it feels so personal to what you've been exploring, and then. Um, just, I just wanted to bring up, um, before it gets too close to the end, because I love this movie, (laughs) Chinese Box. Ah, okay. Kind of the late 90s. Um, I caught up with it somewhat recently. Um, fascinating movie, very mixed media. Uh, there's a whole Maggie Chung sequence that's kind of separate from the rest of the movie to some degree, Jeremy Irons. Um is also he's ostensibly the lead but what it's so fascinating now and i'm wondering how you fi- i mean with every you know so that movie's coming out while hong kong's kind of gaining independence and now it's this weird moment of some of that's retracting so the movie is such a sh- fascinating kind of artifact or living organism or you know what i mean it's- yeah
2: well i it was it was set in such a crucial moment of hong kong I thought something really interesting would happen at that time. But then I guess China made sure nothing happened. Absolutely right. nothing but positive things happened. Right. So I was there with so-called half of the script. And I brought two great writers, Larry, Larry Gross, who wrote for Walter Hill, and Jean-Claude Carrier, who wrote for um, many different French directors. And I brought them so that we could we could write scenes on the set looking at the newspaper every day. So what we did in the morning was we, we, we opened the newspaper and say, well, what's a story that we can use and write something off of? But nothing happened, you know? So I had to depend on Jeremy Irons and Gong Lee's love story to make it work. Um, right. And... And most of it worked, except for Gandhi's English, who wasn't very good at the time. Sure, uh, but you know, they the 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 kind of interaction between them was great. And then and then uh, there was the other girl with the burned face, yeah, um, Maggie. Yeah, Maggie, and Maggie was terrific. And Maggie just sort of took that took that film and ran with it, and Jeremy ran along with it. I have great respect for Jeremy for taking all the risk on that film and not knowing what he was doing every day and just going along with it, which is pretty amazing.
0: Yeah. And it's, I would just, that's a high recommendation. I just, that's a movie that has stuck with with me since I've seen it. And I think just speaks to like, it's so different from every, anything else you've done. (laughs) I just, you know, it's like, shockingly not the same. Right. And I think that's just speaks to that. And I think, um, you know, um, one, I just, I saw you say this in an interview, and I just had to have you just, since we haven't been to briefly elaborate. You mentioned that because of Win dixie which is probably your Hollywood B-side, is like one of, the, no. one of the movies that comes up the most with people. Why do you think, why do you think that is? I'm curious. Yeah.
2: Well, I, I read the book. I think yeah. some kid gave me the book. Mm. And I read it, and I go, wow, this is a good story. Yeah. This is a good story simply told and I wanted to just make the movie and I never worked with a dog or a young girl before right. so I I went out to Thibodaux in in uh in uh, Louisiana and I shot this film. Yeah. And it's for me it's an amazing film. Uh it was incredible working with dogs. Uh, <laughs> what I realized was that Dogs, I mean, again, I'm doing something different. Dogs uh, never do, you know, you train them too well, they will only do what they're trained to do, Mm -hmm. and they get really boring. If you tell them to go from A to B, they'll just go to A to B. So we had to throw in between A to B uh, something surprising for them so they get kind of confused, and that's when they become real so right. <laughs> so it's the same thing with actors you have to if they <laughs> yeah. get too too uh, too rehearsed rehearse and too dry then it's always the same thing you have to throw in some surprise either with the other actor or with a new action and then all of a sudden it becomes life again anyway yeah.
0: I, I love I, you know what movie. i love that the thesis yeah no i love that you love that movie and i think the thesis of this whole this whole interview bringing it back to just your, you know the earlier films and you know obviously you know dim sum on criterion and obviously of uh, uh, life is cheap on criterion Chance missing all these things you're you're just fighting for excitement trying to avoid boredom right you're using yes. that as your well, as your north star
2: every day i have to live on a set to make it interesting and to make it different and interesting so that's basically for me where the battle is every day. Um, so some days I would get a call from the studio and go, "What the hell are you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> and that's probably a very successful day for me.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but 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 you offset it by coming in uh, all in a lot of cases coming in under budget and on schedule. That's so yeah, rare for I, so many directors.
2: I shoot pretty fast, so when yeah. I'm really also quite responsible for for not wasting people's money. I mean, yeah. I, I can have anything. Like on Made in Manhattan, I could ask for a pink elephant to walk <laughs> through Fifth Avenue in the middle of the night, but I didn't do it.
0: <laughs> I, I and missed you know my chance. And the, and the movie is poorer for it. No, I'm just kidding. No, that, <laughs> uh, I would love that deleted scene. No. Um, well... Well, Wayne, thank you for, for talking with us. I mean, I, let me just ask, is there, if, you know, is there, we've we've mentioned a lot of your films. Is there one film that you've made that you would just tell people, hey, this is a, a little gem, seek it out? Uh, well, even, there is.
2: Page. There is. I made a film in Japan called While the Women are Sleeping, and it actually starts Beat Takeshi. Uh, hmm. And... It's, it's based on a Spanish novel, and we, we translated everything to Japan, and it's a wonderful film. Uh, I recut it because it was cut kind of for a Japanese studio, which I didn't like very much, but I recut it, and it's, it's a great film. Um, it is very underrated, and nobody has seen it. Nobody even knows it exists. Well, let's it so,
0: we'll, we'll starts here. Yeah, right? we'll, we'll while get the, the, the women out. are sleeping. All right, <laughs> while the women okay. are sleeping. And then you, and then you also, Justin Sean was in your most recent movie. Who's a great oh, filmmaker yeah. in That's his own right. right.
2: Coming home again is another yeah. one that sort of got lost during COVID. And, COVID, you know, yeah. It was released under the, during that time, and you know, um, it, it's tough. It's yeah. tough. So, um, yeah, uh, but I am I am very happy to talk to you guys because. Obviously, you guys know my film, know my history, and understand what I have tried to do my whole life. So thank you, man.
0: Yeah, no. Honestly, this has been an absolute, an absolute ball. We we so appreciate the time and best of luck. Everything coming up. Feel free to try to get a pink elephant into the next one. We'll see what happens. Okay, I will. (laughs) I will. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Thank you, sir. Thank
1: you. All right. Well, there you have it. Um, yeah, a lot of just really great little nuggets in there. One of my favorite things was his little anecdote about, uh, you know, j- just all the stuff about the Bond Company. <laughs> and love a good Bond Company and, and story. The, and that's
0: like, yeah, like we said, another thing of. <laughs>
1: It's a little. It's very punk rock to be like, well, this guy's afraid of heights, so we're just gonna take all of our meetings uh, at the top of a building, um, so that he just won't meet us. Uh, that's the type of stuff. There's a there's a hustle to that that I think is uh, insane and great. Um, Those are the
0: things we love with these interviews where you can get into the nitty gritty of like how we how we made this movie, right? Like how we. You know, got it done, and I think um it's you know Carl Franklin. If you listen to that episode, we t- he talked about you know filming in unsafe conditions when he was making his Roger Corman movies. One of the producers maybe stealing some of the money, allegedly, right? Like, right. These are things that happen on sets in this weird industry, and I or, think and the notion having- of
1: like you know a, the cost of above the line things versus below the line things and how much money right. that how much money that really leaves you to make your movie right um, well and
0: also even like you know i mean not a b side but made in manhattan he makes i mean you know the the pink elephant joke cuz it's right. great you know when he's talking about being efficient like on that set jlo kind of coming into her peak moment right biggest pop star in the world one of the biggest movie stars in the world made man, made in manhattan was a hit yeah so while they're making it They would have given him the world, right? Right. And he he kind of chose to, you know, be a pro, get it done, and all that. And I think super interesting. And another thing I love about, um, and something I didn't really expect, is the idea of getting bored on movie sets. Sure, yeah. Which I think is something, like Christopher Nolan has had quotes about this, where he, he gets bored on set, too. And he... Far more prefers editing, like of the of the writing and the directing and the editing. He far prefers being in the editing room because that's when you're really Making. Actually, actually able to write make the story. Yeah, yeah. And I think we didn't get that far with Wayne asking him what he prefers, but you got the sense. He's somebody who gets itchy on set because he's like, okay, we're doing this thing. Can we? Can we just? And, and
2: can
1: I we feel move like that drives step? that. You know, he didn't speak directly to this, but I wouldn't be surprised if that's one of the main driving factors in the efficiency, right? In the, like, totally. I'm just gonna get this done because I I want to be done with it. Um and, yeah. I, and I think, yeah, that that's like the it, it's it's one of those things that his even his like kind of foray into Hollywood and then coming back to it like he said was just kind of a thing of like he wanted to make character movies again but it's it's interesting to watch you know all the movies he's made that come after that period because like I said there is like almost a there is a lean, even leaner um more efficient kind of quality to them even even more so than like the dim sums and the chan is missings that have i think a little bit more going on with them in terms of what's in the frame and um and i wonder if that's just driven by you know the things you learn when you're in hollywood and when you're on a hollywood set and like how you kind of just strip things down. Like I said, to make like the simplest version of a story possible.
0: Yeah, no, agreed. So awesome to, to chat with him. And we, and we thank, we thank you Wayne for being available and open to chat with us. And, um, yeah, we'll, we'll we're going to go back into that late summer heat and try to relax and, uh, uh, kind I'll let you wrap us up, but we'll be talking to you guys soon.
1: Yeah, it was a, uh, it was nice to come back and do this real quick. Uh we you know, like Dan said, even though we're on hiatus, it was nice to do this mostly because I we just couldn't couldn't turn it down. Um he's a he's a great filmmaker, truly like joyful guy to talk to, which was really nice. And um
0: Oh we should say be sure to, you know,
1: yeah Criterion dim sum. Uh, it's available, you can get it physically yeah. and, and on the streaming service. A few of his earlier movies are are on there as well. So you can check those out on Criterion Channel. Um, but yeah, but that's our conversation with Win Wang. Uh if you like what you heard, please do rate, review, and subscribe. You can follow us on social media at b Side. As you're listening to this, I guess quick plug. Uh, I am going to be joining uh, Mitchell Beaupre. On our friend Billy Ray Bruton's Incinerator podcast, uh, August 23rd uh, live, which will be interesting uh, when we are incinerating the films of Ridley and Tony Scott. So you can check that out. Uh, That'll be, uh, I believe, 8 p.m. Eastern on August 23rd. Uh, You can check out Incinerator's social channels for all the information There, also, we're uh, over in Cinephile land, we're finishing up Cinephile summer as well, so those will be dropping through the end of this month, uh, and I believe the first week of September, and when we come back, uh, we will have Corey Everett, Cinephile creator, on to talk about uh, more B-sides from Michael Keaton, so that'll be kind of our first official episode back uh, later in September and as uh, as we are recording we are also conducting those august audience choice polls so those are those are going on uh, as of right now it looks like we'll be doing an episode on daniel day lewis that was our first the winner of our first poll right now it seems yes sir pro- yes sir seems probably like jody foster uh is going to be another one and then uh and then you will just have to uh check out that social media for the other polls that will be dropping this month but in any case thank you for listening and we will see you in the fall